Welcome to the Plant-Based Canada Podcast. In this episode, we're going to do something a little different. Recently, several large social media platforms with millions of followers known for spreading misinformation shared a post alleging a new nutrient profile system called the Food Compass suggested that Lucky Charms were healthier than steak. So we're going to dig into that claim and how this nutrient profile system actually works. The Food Compass system was developed by researchers at Tufts University. It's a nutrient profiling system intended to assess the healthfulness of foods and food products. And while there have been legitimate criticisms of the system, there are many false narratives and inaccuracies being pushed on social media. The Good Ranchers, which is a meat delivery service, wrote a response that misrepresented several points and featured a graph that was not from the original article on the Food Compass system. That information was then shared by Joe Rogan and commented on by the likes of Carnivore MD, Andrew Huberman, and others. These individuals and groups are not qualified to discuss nutrition and seemingly misrepresented the Food Compass system to their millions of followers, setting off a wildfire of misinformation. To help break this down, I chat with Dr. Matthew Negra, a naturopathic doctor devoted to bringing the most up-to-date evidence-based nutrition information to his patients at his clinic in Vancouver. In 2018, he graduated from the Boucher Institute of Naturopathic Medicine after completing his Bachelor's of Science in Microbiology at the University of Victoria. He's certified in plant-based nutrition through eCornell and the T. Kong Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies. Dr. Negra is also a public speaker and is known for his content across multiple social media platforms, where he often tackles misinformation about diet and nutrition and deep dives into the latest nutrition research. This is his second time on the Plant-Based Canada podcast, and I encourage everybody to check out our first episode together, episode two, which covered a wide range of nutrition myths and misinformation. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting our show with the link at the bottom of the show notes, or you can donate directly through our website. Dr. Negra, thanks so much for joining me again. It's a pleasure to have you back on the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's uh, been a little bit. So first, before we get into the misinformation that really proliferated following the Good Ranchers and the Joe Rogan Post, can you explain the paper in question that they were talking about and what it was actually looking at? Yeah, so obviously when Joe Rogan shared this thing, he shared a graph that was from a different paper, but made it out to be from this you know, original paper and, and design of the Food Compass score. So let's just backtrack to the actual Food Compass score to start. This was essentially a paper outlining this new scoring system for foods. And, you know, there are a lot of them out there. There's the Nutra score and whatnot, where they try to rank or not so much rank foods, but provide a score that helps inform consumers of like, hey, yeah, this is a healthy choice. Or, hey, maybe that's something you should moderate in your diet, maybe not consume too much of. And what uh, this particular scoring system did was they scored um, foods based on nine domains. So nutrient ratios, vitamins, minerals, uh, food-based ingredients, additives, processing, so like the level and type of processing, specific types of fats that we know are harmful or beneficial, the amount of fiber and protein, and the amount of phytochemicals. Now, what's really unique is, is they looked at eight thousand over 8,000 foods, and they looked at meals as well. So this was like a really kind of comprehensive view of how this scoring system could be applied across Americans' diets. And they actually picked foods that Americans reported consuming in the NHANES cohort, uh, which was, uh, it's a very large US-based cohort. Um, so, I mean, so far, so good, I think, right? I mean, it, it sounds pretty good. And then in this original paper where they're making those, or where they're 
kind of showing the scores of these different foods, they also compared these scores to other scoring systems like the NutraScore being one of them as well, just to seeing you know, how they compare and, and contrast. So that was really the original paper. It was just like we created the scoring system. We've um, scored over 8,000 foods and we've seen how it stacks up to other uh, scoring systems and some potentially pros and cons of, of the newer scoring system. And then they also publish the data on a website where they actually show like, hey, amongst the fruits, here are the highest scoring fruits. They're typically the raw fruits. There's a couple dried fruits that sneak into that category. Um, and then at the bottom, there's the sweet desserts. Within the grains category, you have whole grain foods at the top. You have refined, heavily processed grain foods at the bottom. For the meat and dairy sort of category, you have salmon at the top, you have hot dogs at the bottom. And they kind of go through the different types of foods and categories that way. Again, just helping inform us of how you can you know, make decisions around food. And, and uh, if you were to have you know, some sort of a meat for, for dinner, would you be better off having the salmon or would you have, be better off having the ground beef or the hot dog? So then what about the claim made by the Good Ranchers? So the Good Ranchers, they responded in their own article, and then Joe mm-hmm. Rogan shared that article. And the whole point of contention for these, for, for the Good Ranchers and for Rogan and then a bunch of other people in the wellness space and was that they rated Lucky Charms healthier than steak. So mm-hmm. you alluded to a, a moment ago, but this is part of a graph that wasn't even part of the original yeah. paper. Yeah. So... There, there were some people who took issue with these scores because, yeah, like some foods that maybe are considered ultra processed would score higher than some foods that are, quote unquote, natural. And I mean, not that that necessarily means that it's healthier. And so they went out to highlight some issues with the scoring system. And you know what? I think they actually did a, a good job with some potential limitations. I think they did point out some actual limitations, one of them being the way that they scored each category, like, for example, certain categories, like the ratio of saturated to unsaturated fats might warrant greater weight than another category, like even level of processing, perhaps. And and so um, I think that was a fair criticism and, and maybe a couple other ones. But what they also did was they created this chart of all the different foods across all the different categories, or no, sorry, I shouldn't say all the different foods, they picked specific ones out of the different categories laid them out on this chart and they're like, see, Honey Nut Cheerios, or sorry, regular Cheerios score really high. I, I believe that was on there. Lucky Charms are in the low moderate range, but then ground beef is even below that. They're saying that Lucky Charms are better than ground beef. That makes the headline. Joe Rogan shares it saying that it's some like government funded chart or, or whatever, whatever that even means. Uh, when in reality, it didn't even come from, from the original Food Compass score uh, or paper. Um, or their website, or, or, you know, really any resource that they created that was just put together by these other people who seem to have misinterpreted it. Now, if you go into the actual Tufts University, which I should mention that they're, um, the researchers who created this system were from Tufts University, if you go into their actual website, they have a, a section in their FAQ, which says, how should food compass be used in practice? And I'm just going to quote a little part of this because it just really showcases how inaccurately they're, or how uh, I guess badly they're misrepresenting it. And it says, while food compass works well across thousands of products on average, scores may not yet be ideal to compare foods that play very different roles in the diet, such as a protein rich food like eggs, meat, or fish versus a carbohydrate rich food like bread, pasta, rice, 
actually they put pasta in twice or potatoes. So it's, it's pretty clear. And I think they might've put that in after this stuff originally circulated months ago. Cause this food compass came out several months ago and it also made a bit of a splash, not quite like this, because Joe Rogan didn't share it. But I think they put this information in afterwards because they saw how people were misrepresenting it. It's not meant to say you should replace any food that's lower down with any food that's higher up. Yeah, you want to pick foods that are higher up on the scale than those lower, but ideally within a similar type of category or foods that serve a similar overall purpose. So replace the beef with lentils or tofu, or if you eat animal products, salmon, as I just highlighted earlier. And within cereals, guess what? Lucky Charms actually scored on the kind of low moderate end. If you were to look at other cereals, they're, yeah, corn flakes or no, corn pops and frosted flakes scored lower, but then things like plain Cheerios scored higher. And that makes perfect sense. You have plain Cheerios, whole grain cereal, fortified, no added sugar. Lucky Charms, yeah, whole grain fortified cereal, but does have you know, a decent amount of sugar. And then you have the you know frosted flakes and corn pops, which are even more sugary. And, and I believe, uh, at least with the corn pops, they're refined. I, I can't recall if the frosted flakes are as well. So something you just mentioned, the the funding, Joe Rogan, he yeah. you know talked about how it was quote unquote government funded. So the the irony here is that the good rancher he's he's sharing the good ranchers response to it the good ranchers I mean <laughs> where are yeah. they getting their funding from but um I mean also Joe Rogan I believe again now is doing the carnivore diet specifically yeah. so <laughs> talk about the talk about the fund like who funded the paper why it's important and and how these misinformation platforms are kind of using that to their advantage here Yes yeah, so like for starters I'm not even really in the park or, or the the mindset that because something is funded by industry that it's automatically bad or flawed or, or whatever. If the methods used are good, then we should accept the data, whether you like it or not. It's not usually the case that there's some sort of a bias or financial incentive to completely make fraudulent data. It's more so that, yeah, some people might actually design research in a way that promotes results that they want or, or will um, lead to results that they want. So with that aside, though, if we look at funding, um, yeah, it's got funding from like government, so like NIH, for example, and there is actually some funding from Danone. So that was one thing that was really picked out by especially those who criticized the paper. What's interesting, though, if you go to the paper that responded to this, again, the one where the chart came from. Five out of the nine authors reported conflicts and four of those had conflicts with animal agriculture. And one of them who didn't report conflicts, at least the one that I know of, I think that's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of an issue because I know that the organization they work for gets funding from industry as well. So it's, it's like a, maybe directly they don't, but they kind of do. But either way, if you look at their own conflicts, they have several of them, and they're from the animal agriculture side, typically. So why is it that they're honing in on this issue of funding, yet not really considering the fact that they also have that issue? And, and I think it's just because it's so easy to get people on board with this idea of like, oh, they're trying to get you to eat processed foods, they're trying to, to make you sick, government's trying to make you sick, whatever, when um, it's it just seems to be much harder to do that, or at least to convince the public that that could be a similar issue with animal related foods. It just seems to be that it's so easy to accept the processed food as the villain, 
versus uh, versus animal foods because they're natural or whatever. Apparently, nobody makes money on it, which is ridiculous. They, of course, do make a ton of money on it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just really frustrating. So in response, you mentioned a moment ago that on the website for the um, the FCS, they've got uh, they've got an FAQ that kind of answers some of these questions because, as you said, it yeah. came out months ago. But then also, after Joe Rogan posted this and it became a big firestorm, I do know one of the authors kind of responded directly to him on a Twitter thread. Oh, but I think admitted, oh, Ty, yeah, Ty Beal, right? Yeah, but also admitted, like, I think he added Joe Rogan specifically, but also admitted, like, you know, I agree in some some of the limitations, although I don't know how <laughs> how much Joe Rogan understood or even read into it. So, well, you know, but well, here's I, the thing. So, yeah, so, so on that though, Ty is one of the authors of the response paper. He's not, he's not one of the authors of the food compass score. Oh, my he's mistake. actually, he's actually, yeah, he's actually one of the ones who misrepresented it. And, uh, and I've, he actually blocked me a long time ago because oh. we were having a discussion. Yeah. It's, it, it's just, he's one of the ones, um, yeah. Who tends to really push this, um, you know, processed food is the villain. We don't need to focus on animal based foods where I'm like, well, why can't we focus on both if both are a problem? You know, it's just, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and actually, he recently published another paper on like animal sourced foods and and their supposed you know benefits in the diet. And and I mean, I'm not even going to get into that. But um, but like yeah, so I I would say I don't fully agree with his um, his analysis there and his response. Like even in there in the Twitter thread, he's like he's like yes, it was funded by industry. Like man, I mean, five out of the nine authors on your paper were too. And uh, and then he points out, yes, the government said, like, he literally says, yes, the government said that Lucky Charms were healthier than steak as well. Again, misinterpreting it. And I've seen conversations between him and others where he even quotes what I quoted from the FAQ on the Tufts website, yet still considers that it's, it's ranking foods across categories or across, you know, all categories, I should say, uh, which is nonsense. It's just, I, I'm not sure at this point, like, I, I would, we can assume good intentions and maybe he's just really mistaken on the, on the um, issue, but, uh, but it's either that or, or it could even be intentional. Like, I don't know, but I do know that the actual lead author of the food compass paper um, will be on a podcast soon after this one goes out and uh, we'll hopefully clear all this up. And at that point, I mean, I'd love to see people issuing corrections and actually there's one mistake I made as well that I've already put a little edit correction in, in my, um, my video is that I said they didn't mean to score across categories when in reality it was more just very dissimilar or very similar foods. So like fruit is in a different category than desserts, but they could be compared. You know what I mean? Like, so, so I, I, I could have changed my language a little bit as well, but Hey, that's what we do. You make a little mistake, you, you correct it. Um, at the end of the day, I love to see that on the other side as well. One thing that I love, but I also find as as a double edged sword about nutrition science is that it's so nuanced and it's easy mm -hmm. for people like Joe Rogan who don't have any credentials <laughs> and and nutrition mm -hmm. to misrepresent something. And the problem is is that once it's out there, it's it's out there and misinformation spreads so much faster than than accurate information. And you just mentioned I didn't know this, but the actual author of the uh, the food compass is going to respond to some of the criticism, criticisms on a podcast coming up. So that's going to be, you know, I don't know, next week in a couple of weeks. Uh, down end the, of the month, yeah. End of the month. Yeah. So it's going to be down the road, right? And yeah, the, I guess the issue here is that the the damage might have been done because yeah. once one of these 100%. massive platforms shares misinformation and then everyone jumps on it, 
you know, it takes so much legwork from people like you to, to go point by point. And all Joe Rogan did was share something that was done by someone else, go point by point and try to debunk some of these things. So let's talk about, I guess, the, the larger issue here, how I see it, the, the, the misinformations like Rogan jumping on this when they don't quite understand it. So, so the timeline here is very interesting um, in terms of one platform sharing it and then another platform sharing it and another platform commenting on it. How much work and 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 time does it does it take to fact check these things? Yeah, like so. Well, for starters, the, the funny thing about this is, like I said, this was published months ago. Like this is not new. It's not brand new. But when Joe Rogan shared it, it was like it was brand new, right? And yeah, like some meat delivery company put it on a blog, misinterpreted it, and then Joe shared that. So, you know, you can't even really necessarily blame Joe for that. I think with a platform of his size, he should be having some way to fact check this stuff. The problem is a lot of the so-called experts he surrounds himself with maybe aren't super evidence-based anyway, and that makes them more challenging. So it's really, really difficult. I think at the end of the day, I would put the blame on people who, you know, wrote that that article in the way that they did, the response article, because they're the professionals and then still standing by it even after it's lit. Like, I don't know how you can interpret the words on the website any differently than it's not meant to be used in the way that you're suggesting it is. So I would more so put the blame on them. But yeah, like when it comes to fact checking this stuff or, or you know, debunking misinformation or, or whatever, it can take a while. There's actually something called Brandolini's Law. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it's it's basically it takes way longer to debunk misinformation than to spread it or to to make these claims, right? Because you have to look into the sources and and often when you're explaining stuff with more nuance, that in itself is going to take longer. Like I recently published a video with Plant Based News uh, debunking some claims from uh, Paul Saladino, who's Carnivore MD. For those listening. And his video was one minute long where he made a whole bunch of claims. It got a lot of views and it took me 10 minutes to run through them in like a very fast and efficient way because plant-based news edited everything altogether. If I was just explaining it like this, it'd probably take longer. And, and, uh, and actually Simon Hill's done a bunch of those too. He had like a 20 minute video debunking a one minute clip or something. It's just, it, it's a really well-known kind of fact that it just takes way longer to, to cut through the noise than to, to share it. So for, for listeners at home, what do these platforms, so you mentioned Paul Saladino, Carnivore yeah. ND, he jumped on the bandwagon with the Compass of criticism on Joe Rogan's page, yeah. I believe. And then so did Andrew Huberman, who's wildly popular right mm-hmm. now. And I mm-hmm. believe his background is in neuroscience, yet he's coming out and yeah. and, and helping spread a lot of di- uh, misinformation about health and nutrition. What do these group, what do these, these platforms stand to gain from spreading misinformation? Well, like there's, it, it'll depend a little bit on, on who we're talking about, but for one, like popularity, which eventually leads to, to finances, that's one thing, right? Um, the, the larger your following gets, the more opportunity there is for, you know, making money and whatnot. Um, some people just want the clout, which is interesting as well, but, uh, but I think it tends to be more so on the uh, financial side for a lot of them anyway. And then, you know, ego always plays a role as well. And I got one more for you before I let you go today. And this this is kind of a, a broad question, but why do you think we're still having such major difficulties stomping out misinformation like this, despite the three years of a pandemic that we just suffered through and how much effort went into, I know like all these science communi- uh, communicators really stepped up to the plate 
even in the, the the health and wellness spaces, there was a lot of um, uh, you know vaccine misinformation, infectious diseases mm-hmm. misinformation. A lot of people had to step up, and I and I felt that they did during the last three years. But despite that, now on social media, it seems easier than ever, thanks to some of these safeguards being dropped to spread misinformation. Why is it so um, ubiquitous still? When I feel that we should really, I mean, I mean, at least this is how I feel. I feel like people should be a little more educated now having gone through three years of a, a pandemic. Um, I think it's gotten worse, to be honest. I think it's definitely gotten worse. I, I think there's now, because of you know a lot of stories that people have told uh, to, to sell people on, on certain ideas or the public on certain ideas, they're they're more skeptical of things that they may have even believed before. Like I, I find that, you know, even with like childhood vaccination rates, for example, there's, they look like they're declining at this point. It, it's just, it's starting to spread into other areas. And we see a ton of overlap between the kind of anti-vaccine COVID misinformation crew and the uh, like carnivore crew, essentially. Um, it's, and I don't know that I really have the answer that I think it's just important for those who, who are trying to seek the truth and obviously care for their health to know like what to look out for. And maybe I'll just go over a, a few things. Like for one, if you have people, actually, I, before even getting into specifics, if they don't cite references, maybe that's a red flag right there. We'll just go with that. But just because they cite references doesn't mean that it's, that they're interpreting it correctly. Like that can also be an issue. But first and foremost, if they aren't citing anything, you can ask. But I, I think people should be 100% citing everything on every social media post if they're you know, a science communicator in one way or another. So that's one. Second, I tend to find you know, that they'll often cite kind of just mechanisms of action. So um, with the carnivore community, it might be like, oh, there's these plant toxins that are trying to kill you. You see, they they might harm insects or bacteria or whatever, and therefore it's going to lead to results in you. No, you need to see human health outcome data. So unless the data is showing you an actual result in humans, doesn't matter. Because if plant toxins are trying to kill us, they're doing a really bad job of that when we look at the actual human health outcome data. Um, so again, one, make sure they have references. Two, make sure it's pertaining to humans. Three, are they are they promising short-term fixes? I think this is a huge one too that comes up a lot. So if you if you look at what Carnivore MD or or any of, of those sorts of people often do, is they'll just they'll just promise you something immediately, like, oh, your gut health is gonna clear up, you're gonna have mental clarity, you're gonna, you know, it's gonna be you're gonna have you know fast weight loss. They almost never or very rarely actually focus on the long-term outcome. Are they very rarely focus on reducing risk of cardiovascular disease, reducing risk of things like colorectal cancer, type 2 diabetes. I mean, sometimes they mention diabetes, actually. I see that one come up a little bit. But by and large, they tend to promise these really short-term quick fixes. And that doesn't mean there can't be things that actually help in that in those areas, but uh, maybe take a step back and see, like, you know, bigger picture is what's this going to do to me long-term? Um, that would be another one. And I I think actually the biggest at least for me, when talking to people, kind of the biggest sign that this person is legit, they're at least honest and, and uh, uh, willing to have a conversation is like, will they chat with others who maybe disagree with them? And I'm not saying anybody, but like, let's say that there are professionals, you know, we just talked about in the COVID field, there are a lot of 
really great science communicator, communicators out there who are willing to speak with the, you know, the people propagating misinformation and offering to. I mean, if we look at Steve Kirsch, for example, who's one of the, the big like anti-vaccine people, he has said, I don't know how many times that he'll pay a million dollars for somebody to debate him. And he keeps saying nobody's willing to debate. That's not true. Dr. Avi Bitterman did debate him, beat him so bad that he actually called Avi's um, employers and tried to get him fired. That's And it's a four hour debate. It's on YouTube. Anybody can watch it. It's brutal. Um, he also debated another doctor, I think Dr. MD slash PhD, I can't recall, um, who was told that this was going to be a public conversation, never got published. It was kept private. And so like, like these people aren't actually willing to have those conversations. They'll lie about it. They'll, they'll think they have a point, but, uh, but it really, really they won't. So like, do you actually have evidence? Have you seen them engage with people who are willing to um, engage and maybe critique their position? Um, and if so, I think that is at least a sign that they're potentially a bit more honest and, and um, maybe they're just misinformed, right? Maybe it's not by bad intentions. Maybe they're misinformed. Maybe they'll change their view. And if not, at least you get both sides of the story. Right. And, and you can ultimately decide who presented the better arguments. And, um, you know, oftentimes I think it's pretty clear who, who did. Yeah, that's a very good point. There's not, uh, especially with like vaccine misinformation, there are people uh, and groups of people and communities who might, you know, be vaccine hesitant for a good reason. And, and I think that's a really important uh, point to make. But then again, on the other side of that, there's like Kirsch who, you know, is trying yeah. to grift off of it. So there's, it goes both ways. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you again. I really like the, this little short form debunk that we did and maybe yeah. down the road we can, we can do it again. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Sounds good. No problem. Happy to be here. This podcast featured royalty-free music from bensound.com. A very special thanks to our guests for speaking with us and sharing their insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate the public and health professionals on the evidence-based benefits of plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website, www.plantbasedcanada.org, and stay up to date by following us on Instagram and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org and our Plant-Based Canada YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.